You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. All right, we're recording. Um, let's welcome to fake news this week. A lot of fun fake news. Basically, fake news being Lexus has decided to make a fake manual shifter for their EVs. I don't understand why. And then Hyundai is making a fake automatic shifting feel, which is even dumber. So you know that feeling when you're driving along and your automatic transmission goes and comes in? Hyundai decided that, hey, people really want that in a car that doesn't have gears and doesn't have a transmission. Um, and they're comp- coupling that with a fake engine sound, which, uh, you know, uh, fake engine sound, uh, all right, sure. But fake manual shifting and a fake automatic shifting feel, <laughs> I mean, ha- what happens when you burn your clutch out? They take your real money? That's, a, the, you know, the automatic part of that one is what really got me. And you see, I think they've been piping in, you know, aggressive engine noise and things into cars for years now via the audio system. And I'm not, I I couldn't figure out specifically if this engine noise was something that was going to be distributed outside of the vehicle, you know, for instance, to warn people of an approaching EV that may be super quiet, um, which would be a good thing. Um, But the, (laughs) the automatic transmission is just never something I thought, you know, drivers would be interested in experiencing yeah every time i noticeably feel my car the automatic shift shift i think oh something went wrong (laughs) like i I, it's a bug why would this be a feature um but yeah with the fake noising of of the cars there's a isn't there a requirement for evs at low speeds to have like a whistler on them yes pedestrians see them coming there's a certain speeds at which the the air flowing around the vehicle doesn't create enough noise to alert people to an approaching car and under that speed uh, nitsa specified that manufacturers have to have a um certain noises that are played manufacturers tried to come in and, and, and expand that catalog of noises to all sorts of wild things um a few maybe a year or two ago and and that's to turn that down for the driver selectable noises so it was we, aruga was that one of the choices i, I hope so <laughs> the well, those, are ex- those are external noises those are to warn um pedestrians, pedestrians that somebody's coming these are not right. internal noises and presumably whoever is driving the car knows that they're driving the car so it's hard to understand exactly why they're alerting people to the fact that they are driving the car it's got to be for for external reasons so okay so I, i'm already regretting going to ask this question so was when nitsa got involved in this make the manufacturer had to make sounds at low speeds was this a suggestion or a requirement you know i i, I believe it may have been a congressionally mandated requirement i can't remember that far back in my old age that's a good idea all right Good. Yeah, I think it is required. I can't quote the FMVSS, but yeah, the, the it's now required of all manufacturers. What I was wondering was whether NHTSA was required to do it or whether they did it of their own volition. Mm. Well, I, I hope they. My my big hope for EVs is that the 
guys in my neighborhood who like to drive around and they have their cars automatically backfire. So it sounds like machine gun fire. Pow, 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 pow. That they don't bring that into EVs as a sound pack, but somebody will. I just, that's my new business model. I got to go, guys. I got to go record, you know, this pow, pow, pow sounds for people's, you know, Tesla. Good luck in that endeavor. We wish you the best. <laughs> now I just got to get the speakers on the outside of the car. No, we've heard that, but have you ever seen a bumper sticker that says loud pipes saved lives? No. It's, yes. It's something by the uh, motorcycle folks as a reason why they shouldn't have mufflers on their, <sighs> on their motorcycles. So, yeah. I mean, that's one more way to alert drivers to the presence of a motorcycle. I mean, I, they're hard to spot sometimes. I, I have no issue with that. I, I've, I've never been intimidated by loud pipes. The, I mean, I guess if you had one driving by your house at 5 a.m. every morning, that might be an issue. Yes. <laughs> well, I, actually- I happen to live in a very quiet neighborhood, and I'm alerted to the fact that motorcycles are, oh, about a mile away. Some of them are quite loud. And, uh, yeah, that's useful information, I suppose, but seems a little bit excessive. So regularly last year, there was a, uh, one of these Chevy muscle cars, uh, a late model that would park outside my window with its engine idling. And the engine idling was so loud. I could hear it like three rooms away and we're not on the ground floor. And so I would regularly file complaints with the police. And then I realized the police would approach the car and it was a, it was a cop car. It was a, <laughs> it was, a, it was an unmarked vehicle. Cause like the first time the police approached, they're like, Oh, they're apologizing to the person inside. I'm like, there's no way you're apologizing if it's a, you know, some. So, so Anthony, why are the police staking you out? I think it was actually the FBI. And there's a number of businesses on my, <laughs> my, one of the streets here that, um, I don't think, that, I think, you know, how, how many, how many businesses nervous. sell one t shirt? I don't think that's the real business model. How many copy shops are needed in this neighborhood or nail salons? So, you know, anyway, enough of that. That's not safety related. Let's get into fun safety related stuff. The Institute for Insurance for Highway Safety. And I know I totally got that wrong. IIHS uh, is updating two things this week. They uh, announced they're updating their crash testing for EVs. Uh, because they, their cars for their crash tests, they get pulled by a catapult, uh, and the catapults were not designed for 7,000-pound vehicles. I'm looking at you, Rivian. Um, yeah, it's Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. There we go. Ah. Uh, we always say IIHS uh, or the Insurance Institute. And um, what, they're, you know, what they were doing, they released a video, and it basically – was uh dual cab f-150 that they looked like they'd thrown a bunch of file cabinets and junk in the back i'm not sure what what the stuff in the back was but they said you know they see these heavier evs coming down the pipeline and their crash test machine is 20 plus years old and they want to make sure it can stand up to the weights um so it was a very practical reason behind them doing that but they're right in the video they discussed you know, the vehicles they have to prepare for. They didn't name the manufacturer, but they mentioned a vehicle that's up to 9,500 pounds, um, which they called huge. They didn't, and not in a good way, um, but that it seemed like that would be the the GM Hummer that that, okay. that they were referencing there. Um, and, but, you know, crash machines are incredibly expensive. I mean, even outside of the machine, the dummies cost up to a million dollars now. So um, wow. it's 
it's you know it's important that they stay on top of that because if their machine breaks because a 9600 pound ev is uh it's not capable of running that test then they've got a lot of problems they need to address really quickly so they can continue testing so um that was that was a neat video Let's let's put that in perspective for people though. So a ninety six hundred pound vehicle, the a normal gas powered sedan weighs what two thousand pounds? That's probably more in the range of three thousand. I think okay. my dad's somewhere in there. So we're talking. So the EVs because they're batteries, they're weighing double that, triple that. Yeah, yeah. I think the EVs are probably on sedans are probably coming in another. You know, you can add. 1,750, 600 to 1,000 pounds, somewhere there. It depends on the range and the battery and a lot of other factors. Um, the, the trucks are a little more concerning because there you're trying to generate, you know, more power, more torque in certain situations. You know, the EV Hummer has horsepower that's obscene for a vehicle that large. And um, that's where really large batteries come into play um, when you're having to push a big vehicle a long way um and you see a, a battery that's over two thousand pounds like you do in the hummer well, to give perspective the uh, article noted that the batteries for the gm hum the electric humvee weighs about the same as a full-size mazda miata <laughs> wow okay this is a pretty good one so also iihs um updated rear crash seat testing and of course, this was just surprising to me that, uh, I guess rear crash seat testing, you know, the people sitting in the back seat of your car, they didn't really do testing on that before. That wasn't tested. That has always been, you know, and it's not just obviously not just an IHS problem. I mean, that's something that rear seat safety has always been difficult. First of all, I mean, there's a simple explanation for why the front seats are, have traditionally been more protected it's because um they paid for the car well there's always going to be a person in the driver's seat hopefully <laughs> i mean and so statistically in crashes you, you know you're going to see more more injuries take place in the front seat and the passenger seat um and then the rear's next so when it comes to i think when it's come to rulemaking parties for nitsa and safety priorities for manufacturers over many years, the rear seat safety has been devalued in many respects. Um, and we've seen that in, you know, some of the seat back collapse problems that we hope are going to be addressed by a provision of the infrastructure bill to make, do something about vehicle seat strength and vehicle seat interaction with the seat belts and other things. Rear seats don't typically have pretension pretensioners or other locking mechanisms for seat belts to make sure your seat belts function properly. Um, and there, there aren't dummies in the back seat and it's a test. Now there's some in IHS, IHS test, which is great. Um, but we, you know, we, you know, our idea would be NHTSA testing vehicles that are fully occupied because there's a lot of interaction between passengers and vehicle, um, structures that you know needs to be evaluating these crash tests for folks that are traveling in rear seats and that's not being done right now um to the extent that we sh we think it should be either at NHTSA or at the at, or at the design and manufacturer level yeah it's well, a the, 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 uh, point is that the technology to protect passengers in the rear seat exists it's just a question of getting the manufacturers to put it into the you know put it into the seats so it's a uh, it's a marketing and regulation issue. It's not a technical issue. Yeah, I mean, and we've seen like 
<laughs> they eat literally one of the easiest things Congress has told NHTSA to do in the last 20 years, get the seatbelt reminders that you have in front seats into the back seats has now taken over a decade to get done. So it, that's just one example of where priorities are kind of out of whack, you know, and, and, and steps aren't being taken in areas where technology is cheap, available and required, and it's still not in all vehicles. It's it, that's, that's one of the bigger nightmares that we've dealt with uh, during the last decade is just watching that rule uh, mandate sit there with nothing being done. It's a fascinating video that IIHS put out um, because you see what's happening to the to the dummies in the back seat, and they said only two vehicles got a, a safety rating of good. It's not even great, just good. And one of the videos you can actually see the dummy; it comes forward and its head gets underneath the side airbag curtain. So, like you're you miss the airbag curtain, now you're getting pressed down by the airbag curtain, and your face is getting smashed into the door frame. Um, don't buy yeah, that. And that makes me wonder how some of those tests, some of those are going to perform in some of NHTSA's um, side impact tests. But the problem is, you know, we don't have the representative rear dummies in those tests. So there's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a testing issue and, and NHTSA needs to update its test to incorporate, you know, more passengers and people of different sizes, weights, genders, and all that. I mean, it's just, we're, we're, this is the, you know, a big part of the reason that our safety has somewhat fallen behind other countries, um, particularly Europe, uh, in the past few years, because we're just not keeping up quick enough. Crazy. So, uh, don't sit in the back seat is the takeaway. Um, okay. And speaking of dangerous driving, uh, there's a good report this week that actually surprised me. Um, where is it? It is here. Okay. So, this was the alcohol and drug prevalence among seriously or fatally injured road users. Now, you'd imagine that most injuries and trauma cases would be people who are drunk drivers. Um, but it looks like more people are on weed who are getting into crashes. If I'm reading this correctly, it said uh, alcohol was 21.4% uh, and cannabinoids were 24.7% of drivers. Is that, am I reading this right? I would say, you know, that's, some of that's correct. I would say it's a little more nuanced because people are mixing these wow. drugs too. So, and, you know, alcohol and weed, I think, are, are, are commonly mixed. It's chocolate um, and peanut butter. Yeah. Well, there you go. And so I, it's, it, Nitsu was very careful to kind of point out that, you know, you can't really take these numbers and run with them. Plus, they came from, seven i believe trauma centers you know somewhat spread across the country um and in mostly urban areas so you know it, it, but that's a very very high number you know i i, I talked to a um couple of people who were like wow can you believe that you know 50 percent of the people in these crashes are on some kind of drug you know mm. that just seems super high and um you know just driving, you know, just driving through DC uh, on my commute. I, there is not a commute that goes by. Maybe if it's rainy and my windows are up, but uh, that I don't smell marijuana coming from a car in front of me at some point, right? So it's it's something that's actively, you know, it, it, it's something that's an active problem. I think, especially with the 
spread and the rec- you know the recreational legalization on, of marijuana is something that really no one has studied uh sufficiently to you know to figure out how big the problem is and what the problem is so you know we're glad to see NHTSA doing some of that you know marijuana p- poses some different challenges in enforcement because there's frankly no real way at the moment to test uh drivers for you know how much marijuana is there so there's no good connection between marijuana and um your inability to operate a vehicle in quite the same way that they have you know all this science behind alcohol and um your inability to drive a vehicle so it's still kind of a developing area of the law and it's you know my you know i think our ultimate hope would be that you know we know that humans are going to continue screwing up so mm-hmm. if we can get technology and vehicles that recognizes when people are in a terrible state and have no business being behind the wheel whether it's drunk smoking too much dope or you know having a diabetic uh problem or another medical issue the car can recognize that based on the terrible inputs it's getting going over lines leaving lanes speeding that type of thing um they- do they have any like field sobriety tests for marijuana use to like do the police hold up a bag? I don't of think onions? any of them have been proven yet. No, I, I, I really think, I think it would only be uh, right now they're using right now they're using the field sobriety test, but they, there's no, you know, there's no blood test. There's no breathalyzer type technology where what, they have an the answer. Breathal- wouldn't the breathalyzer just be like, dude, we can smell it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, there's a philosophical well, question there's here. There's edibles too. and things like that too. So it's you know True. it's not it's not always a smell thing anymore. There's a philosophical question here too, which is that in this uh, enforcement mechanism we're talking about, there's a presumption that the human being in the car is responsible for all the activities and hazards associated with the car. There's another philosophy, which is that the traffic system designers need to recognize that people are fallible and that mistakes will occur. People will do stupid things and they should be protected in spite of their inability for whatever reason, rather than because of their inability for whatever reason. So I, you know, there's a, there are countries in Europe that are acknowledging that, yeah, people screw up and we need to protect people in spite of their screw ups. That philosophy has not found any traction in the United States yet. And, you know, this article reminded me that we are assuming that, you know, people are solely responsible for the hazards associated with their vehicle. That's simply not true. There's how would a how would a traffic system prevent, you know, a, an inebriated driver from causing damage? Well, one of the things Michael discussed is or Michael just mentioned is that logic can be built into the vehicle to detect when a driver is incapacitated for whatever reason and that the logic could then cause the car to come to a safe stop somehow uh yeah that's a little bit aspirational but technically that that could be done oh Um, man you're gonna have my car narc on me dude not cool i mean we see we already see similar things being used when you're not paying attention in some of the super cruise vehicles that are on the road now Okay, so it'd be like a, a you you can have a, a camera system that scans someone's eyeballs and be like mm, a little too red. Eyeballs. Uh, you could look at people's reaction to stimulus. You can look at we talked about OEDR before, object event detection and response. But when you know that means that there is a way of measuring the time it takes between a stimulus 
and the response that can be measured for a vehicle. It can also be measured for the human response. And so, you know, there's there's no reason that I know of to say that you couldn't build in that logic, even to a car that does not have automatic controls, to detect when a person is lagging in their response to some traffic situation. Um, again, maybe that's aspirational, but there are technical things that can be done to protect people in spite of themselves. And, uh, you know, I think a lot more energy could be done and uh, make the road safer using that philosophy. Yeah, and that's it's a problem, you know, in America, we have kind of a, we kind of look down at some of these situations, people find themselves in safety. This is an issue that comes up a lot in the area of um, hot cars when, you know, you have children that are left in vehicles uh, and ended up dying or severely injured because of the heat. Um, and and you see a lot of finger pointing and blame threats at the parents, but you know, in 99.9% of those cases, the parents are absolutely devastated and it's the, you know, the worst thing that's ever going to happen to them. And, you know, there is technology that's pretty simple that can be installed in vehicles to prevent it. Um, why aren't we doing that? And so that's one of the provisions that went in through the infrastructure act and that NHTSA is supposed to be putting into play. Um, how long that's going to take and what kind of system goes in these vehicles, whether it's a truly working functional system or just a cheap one that allows manufacturers to say they did something is another question that still remains. But um, Americans don't tend to have a lot of empathy for folks who find themselves in certain situations. Um, and, you know, they're, if if our cars can prevent us from uh, making the mistakes we're inevitably going to make, then why not? Another, that's a great example. Another good example is bicycle safety. In the United States, if you're on the road and you get, uh, on your bicycle and you get killed, well, that's just too bad. Um, you know, you shouldn't have been on the road in the first place, maybe. In Europe, they recognize that things, interactions between vehicles and bicycles generally go badly for the person in the bicycle. So they put up physical barriers to separate the uh automobile traffic, essentially automobiles and trucks, from the bicycles. That's that's another example of how the infrastructure design can compensate for mistakes that people might make. Uh, a lot of that work could get done. It's not being done in the United States. No, in New York, they keep expanding bike lanes, which is you know good on some levels, but seeing the way people drive, I think it's bad. Um, mainly referring to the way I drive. Anyway, now that his uh, vocal cords are warmed up, he's been drinking his tea, I think it's time for the Tao of Fred. You've now entered the Tao of Fred. Today's topic is going to be Funyuns. No, it's not. Um, I figured if I said it a third time, that would finally be funny as you stepped over my funny comment earlier. All right. um, Fusion Energy. So, Fred, Fusion Energy, it's ready today, just like self-driving cars. I don't need lithium. I don't need ions. I don't need nothing, man. Just some a glass of water and I'm good to go, right? It's, yeah, absolutely. Well, here's your primer on uh, nuclear physics. So uh, fusion power, what, is it, what does it really mean? Um, nuclear reactors that are around now are, are using a different kind of power. It's called fission power. And uh, a fundamental difference between fission and fusion is that The fission power, the nuclear plants that are around now, can be controlled uh, proportionally. You know, if you you want them to run a little bit hot, you can make them run a little bit hot. If you want them to run full velocity, you can do that. With the 
fusion systems, it's basically like lighting a firecracker and you, you know, once you light it, you can't control it. So you got to make sure that what you're lighting is uh, small enough so that, you know, you don't cause a giant nuclear explosion in your reactor. So the, the event that took place this week or last week, which was a wonderful thing from the world of physics, was to get a pellet of lithium hydride, or actually they call it lithium deuteride and lithium tritiide, which means you're using heavy isotopes of, uh, of hydrogen in it. The experiment was able to demonstrate that you can get more energy out of it than the pulse laser energy that you put into it, which was which was a great thing. But there's a bit of a problem. Uh, well, no, first of all, I'll give them credit. This is a great thing. People are going to win Nobel Prizes for this. It's an incredible achievement, and it points to something that might be really great in the future. But you've got to recognize that laser energy that they use to ignite this pellet is very expensive. So the, even though they demonstrated that they could get more energy out of the pellet that's imploded than the laser energy that they put in, if you bring it back and you draw the boundary around the plant that's producing all the power, overall you had a 0.6% efficiency overall because of all the electric power that goes into making the laser pulses that were able to ignite it. Um, so between here and a commercial power plant, there's about a 16,700% improvement in efficiency that's got to take place. Uh, doesn't say that can't happen, but it's, there's an awful lot of engineering that has got to go into it from here to there. Um, we well, have one Elon Musk is probably already on it, right? I'm sorry? Elon Musk is probably ready to do this right now. Or maybe he's already done it and just didn't oh. tell anybody. Who knows? Sure. Okay. Elon, once you, you know, get um, once you get that initial, I don't know what else to call it, then like a fusion pulse. Once you get that started, does that then uh, make the efficiency of the whole operation that much better? I mean, does it change instantly at that point? Or are you still taking into account the energy inputs into the laser and that sort of thing? Well, if you if you take all the energy inputs into the laser and look at the efficiency overall. Um, you're getting a little bit of energy out, but you need to put a hell of a lot of energy in to get that little bit of energy out. So let's, but let's say that they solve all those problems, right? And, and they are able to actually make a power plant that can produce power regularly enough to be commercially available. Um, does that solve all the problems? Does that mean that everybody should go to electric cars immediately because they're anticipating this future? Well, you've got to recognize that electricity can be used for a lot of other things besides driving cars around. In the future, it may turn out that if this energy is as cheap as people hope it would be, and parenthetically, please note that power too cheap to meter was what people were talking about nuclear energy back in the 50s. So, you know, there's there's a good reason to be skeptical about this. But nevertheless, even if that does all work, it may turn out economically, you're better off using that energy to make liquid fuels out of currently unused substrates, wood dust, you know, wood scraps, who knows what, than to turn it directly into electric power stored in a battery that can be used for an individual vehicle. You know, as we were discussing earlier, these individual vehicles are getting really, really heavy. And the energy consumption of a vehicle, all things aside, is determined by how heavy it is. 
right? The more, the heavier it is, the more power you got to put into it. The more friction there is, the, the more, the more, the more. So smaller vehicles are inherently more efficient than very large vehicles. There's another problem with this. And, you know, if, even if you attach this reactor to the grid, even if everything works, you attach it to the grid, you've got procedural problems. Like, for example, utilities might not want that. There is a utility in uh, New England that owns a Seabrook nuclear power plant, which is in New Hampshire. It's in between Canada and Boston. Boston wanted to have cheap power from Canada, and uh, the owners of Seabrook financed a referendum in Maine that basically uh, caused that electric power distribution system, which was already being built, to be shut down. So there's, you know, there there are business reasons why people don't want cheap power to be available. Uh, in Florida, the utilities have basically organized lobbying campaigns to to uh, prohibit the use of solar power for houses or residential units in Florida. So there's there's a lot of a lot of things have to happen between here and there, both technically and procedurally or programmatically right. in order well, to make this happen. I, I think I was talking to someone that said, you know, they couldn't sell their power back to the grid in Florida, but people in DC are doing that right now. So I'm, I imagine that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that is what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah, um, Maine overturned that because at first for years they couldn't sell their power back. Now they have to buy it back. Um, what? Um, shoot, I had one more question too. What? Uh, yeah, never mind. I'll think of it in a second. But I, I want to just put it into human perspective if I can. So the amount of power that went into the uh, pulses that that ignited this uh, lithium deuteride pellet was, let's see, I calculated. It was uh, 1.3 million megawatts per each of the lasers, and there's 192 lasers. So a million megawatts is a hell of a lot of power. That's like a nuclear reactor, right? Uh, the reason that it, the power is so high is because the energy was delivered over a very short interval. Remember, we talked earlier about the difference between power and energy. So power is like miles per hour. And energy is like miles, right? So you have to you have to multiply the power times the time to get the energy. Uh, to put that in perspective, uh, if you had you've all seen laser pointers, right? Laser pointer is three milliwatts. So if you wanted to, instead of using this very sophisticated laser apparatus and crowdsourced your laser pulse that could ignite these uh, these pellets, you would need to have. Uh, let us see. Four hundred thirty-two billion billion laser pointers pointed on that uh, on that particular pellet, which is fifty billion laser pointers per person on Earth. And That's my heavy. observation is this might be a little difficult to organize, actually, but it's. I um, think you'd have to organize it around a series of Pink Floyd concerts, <laughs> and we'd all have to be high to make it work. Maybe, yeah. well, that may be an advantage. And yeah, getting back to the drug testing, circling back to that. Thank you so much for closing that loop. I appreciate that. <laughs> so folks, look, you can go out and you can buy 50 billion laser pointers. Your cats will be happy. Um, or you can use that money to donate to the Center for Auto Safety. Go to autosafety.org, click the red donate button, 
empty your wallet send us laser pointers yeah that's that's a lot easier than than carrying 50 billion laser pointers hey don't judge our fans and supporters and listeners they want to do that let them do it so um, even with fusion energy that's what i was thinking about you know even with fusion energy we still have to wait have a way to get this energy into cars and carry it around so it's not helping a lot with the battery issues that we're looking at no, it's not helping at all with the battery issue, unless you were to electrify the uh, the highways. But, you know, I, I keep coming back to the conclusion that the only way to really address the carbon footprint of us is to get people out of their cars. I'm sorry that, you know, having a really, really big electric vehicle, 9,500 pounds <clears throat> with a Miata strapped on so you get enough energy is is not going to solve anybody's energy problem followed by 30 fire trucks come on now i remember well that 30 fire trucks is for the tesla much smaller battery so, <laughs> right, now, okay. so now we're up to 90 fire trucks well you know i want my how much how many how, much, how many thousands of gallons of water does it take to put out a, a hummer ev battery we haven't tried that one out yet i don't know with the drought in the southwest you know there's probably not enough left in lake mead to, to take care of that problem Oh, wait, you've heard it here first, folks. Fred still hates America. Doesn't want us to have our big cars. Wants you carrying around a bunch of laser pointers that were probably made in China. Hey, I was wondering if that cop car you were talking about earlier is because you consort with people who knew how to hotwire a car back in the old days. I, I, I'm going through a tunnel. I got to go, folks. Uh, shows we, we've got TikTok <laughs> for that now anyway. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to uh, some more fun stuff. Oh, this is a, a recurring subject. Uh, EV school buses. Um, so EV school buses, they're expensive in the short term, but they make sense in the long term. Uh, there's a good article about this and it was on uh, CNBC. Um, it gives kids a, a, a costlier but a better ride. One of the bus drivers described it as it's like a big, huge go-kart. When you accelerate, you move. When you stop accelerating, you stop, and you don't hear any sound, except for the sound of children's voices haunting you for the, your, the rest of your life. Um, well, I won't, I, won't, I won't get distracted on this one by the weight of a school bus battery, which must be, must be massive. Um, you know, I would say that in this area, manufacturers of EEs probably face even more resistance than you might see in the average uh the normal vehicle population because school administrators are really sensitive to cost concerns and these buses are costing three to four times the amount of uh diesel buses which you know if you put that into consumer terms uh we wouldn't we wouldn't have the ev movement that we have right now i think if you saw evs coming in at those prices for your average consumer so it may be a while for them to scale um that to make it work um, for school systems, but there were some really kind of cool points brought up in the, in the article about how you can, you know, when you have a fleet of school buses with these batteries and the school buses are only operating X hours of day, you know, you can make that charging system and the school bus batteries part of your overall infrastructure in the school system and, a, and an energy source in, in some ways or, or Somehow they connected it up to make it, you know, it, the money might make sense um, if you're spending that much on these vehicles, if they're also able to store electricity for other uses. I just like the fact that when you stop accelerating, the bus stops. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a good design feature. 
That's an excellent. I don't know why Bluebird has never caught on to this. Uh, very, very strange. Um, all right, let's uh, let's jump into recall roundup because then after that we're going to jump into our uh, favorite recall of all time. Strap in, time for the recall roundup. Porsche. Um, everyone's got one. The Porsche Airbag Dash Interaction. Um, oh no! The only thing ensuring the passenger airbag deploys properly is an adhesive in the dash. No mention of potential injury. Uh, from being the dashboard being propelled into passengers. Now, where yeah, did I didn't see that. Uh, I was I was looking for that, but they, apparently this this dash, Anthony. I know you'll appreciate this. These are only the leather dashes. Yeah, for- I, I read this. Only certain specific vehicles equipped with a leather covered dashboard yeah. option, assembled within a defined production batch, are affected. Basically, another Friday problem. It sounds like. Yeah, and it didn't, you know, they make bull whips out of leather. So I don't know if I want leather flying at my face. I hope that's not part of the problem here. And that these, it sounds like it may just be this, um, the dashboards getting in the way of the airbag, but it's, it's hard to tell that Porsche was not very descriptive. Um, Only 53 vehicles and it's the 2022 to 23 Porsche 911s. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to think that's probably every Porsche they've put in America with a leather dash. I don't know. Is leather dash common in your neck of the woods? I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't I thought they all moved away from leather and they use that uh those vinyls that simulate leather now. Right. Well, hey, Porsche. You know, that's what's <laughs> that's what you're gonna do. All right, Hyundai of again, Hyundai's here. Every week, the uh, they notified the Office of Defects Investigations of a safety recall on 2020 to 2021 Honda Hyundai Palisade vehicles, um, where the windshield wipers may function intermittently or stop functioning when <laughs> impeded by accumulation of snow and or ice at the bottom of the windshield. I thought that was one of the basic functions of windshield wipers. Yeah, I mean, it is. And that's why they did the recall. The issue here was that they, you know, apparently have a similar or very, you know, maybe the same design, who knows, um, on some of the later models, the 22 and, and 23 Palisades. And they're getting, NHTSA is getting complaints on those two about the same problem, yet uh, Hyundai did not include those in the recall. So that's a big no-no uh, if, it, if it is what it looks like. But they're still investigating the root cause of this one, Anthony. Um, you know, I'm not sure four months later, I mean, you've got a pretty clear issue with ice accumulation and your windshield wipers, um, why it's taken them so long. This isn't really one of those um, super complex battery related investigations or software issue. So I hope they're getting that one out fixed and quick because winter is already here. Um, and it's snowed the other day in New York. Yeah. I think you've got something coming your way right now. Fred uh, probably does. Probably. <laughs> All right. So moving on to the next one, Fred, what kind of Subaru do you have? I have an Outback. Uh, well, you're lucky because 2019 to 2022 Subaru Ascents, 271,694 of them are being recalled for an improperly fastened ground terminal for the positive temperature coefficient heater. Um, Positive temperature coefficient heater. And this problem may result in the melting of the ground terminal and surrounding components when the positive temperature coefficient heater is in operation. Doesn't sound good. 
No, it does not. The ground bolt that secures the ground terminal of the heater may have been improperly fastened, another Friday afternoon problem, during the assembly process. Um, what is a positive temperature control heater? No, I got it wrong. Coefficient yeah, you, heater. You know, too many acronyms in this show. I have no idea, so I'll go ahead and guess. Um, they have different... You're listening to the towel, friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may be able to have my own towel on this one. I looked it up. I don't know. But they I'll have, let Fred guess. They have, um, the lawyer did his homework. Differential controls. Differential controls for the two sides of the of the front seat. So I'm I'm guessing that it has something to do with that. Maybe one of them is the primary, and the other one is a coefficient off of it. But it's a pure purely speculation. So don't don't take that to the bank, Michael. What's well, the answer? so a positive temperature coefficient heater is generally used in vehicles. For thing, it, it can heat up really quickly, um, and so it's used like for when you get in your car on a cold day, start the engine, take off, turn on the heat, until your heater core is actually warm in your vehicle. You're not going to get any warm air. I believe that these are used to kick in to give you that heat um, before your heater core warms up. So um, a little creature comfort um, it, for folks who don't want to get out and start their car early and waste gas warming their car. Um, so, you know, it, it makes sense. I don't live in a cold enough climate to really need this, but I can see where you would certainly want this in your vehicle. Um, but you know, again, it's just a, it looks like it's just a, a screw up at the factory and that they had some torquing issues. They weren't, weren't, uh, tightening things down properly on a ground wire and that's the result you get. Yeah. So I, I, I sarcastically and snarkily always say this is a Friday afternoon problem. But I looked it up, and this is actually a Friday afternoon problem. It first happened January 9th, 2020, where air tools introduced to the production line. That was a Thursday. <laughs> and so uh, a few days later on January 11th, um, which was a Saturday, that's when they started getting uh, technical reports exhibiting smoke from the driver's side uh, interior cabin. Again, look, all of these little mechanical tiny things, Friday afternoons. So what do we do? Four-day work week. And we make these Thursday afternoon problems. Well, I used the magic of the internet to Google this while you were talking. And let's see, it says uh, a positive temperature coefficient heater is one in which the as the temperature increases, it's resistant to current rises proportionally. So what that means is it's self-regulating. <clears throat> and if you just uh, put electric power through it, as the temperature rises, less current will go through it. So it reaches a, a stable point. And, uh, and I guess they just set that stable point so that it has some benefit for the, the passengers inside. So, so you the, get that nice toastiness on your butt while you sit down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to put a, a variable control on it because it's going to be self-regulating. Uh -huh. And so these could be used in in the seat heaters or in other things that right right steering wheel heaters or anywhere so not necessarily part of your uh air conditioning and heating system in your vehicle and I, you know again i was having trouble figuring out which one it was all right so again this is another um takata issue another death has been linked to a recalled takata airbag uh nearly a decade after it started multiple deaths millions of vehicles are under recall um, and today, uh, this is today being, uh, 
last week. Uh, NHTSA released another bulletin announcing another crash fatality um, due to a malfunctioning Takata airbag in, in, uh, involving a Honda this time. So people, what's the website we want people to go to to see? Safeairbags.com. Yeah. Go there, find out if your vehicle is affected. Um, everyone with a vehicle from 2000 to 2017, go there right now. Um, check your VIN number. You don't have that. Do make, model, year, figure it out. This is doesn't cost you a dime and can save your life, as we've mentioned a hundred times on this show. Um, and yeah, it makes wonder- a, a great Festivus gift to yourself. If, 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 if you're looking for a gift for yourself this holiday, just get your VIN number and plug it in. Um, and Fred, you were saying. I was just going to say, if people wonder where you look for the VIN number, it's visible through your windshield. Usually it's right in front of the, uh, the driver's position at the bottom of the windshield. So if you look, go from the outside, you can uh, easily find it. Look, look right at the bottom of the windshield. Yeah, and some and, there's some sites I think you can enter in your license plate number and I'll pull back your VIN number. But yeah, you would know about that. All this, you're, you're looking, you're, you're, you're tracking all these bad drivers and cars outside of your house. Well, the car parked outside my house. I did look up its, <laughs> its license plate number and I, that's how I discovered it was a three letter government agency sitting in that car. So, and then, you know, a little more on that, you know, this is a Honda. We've seen a Honda Ford and two Chrysler slash Delantis vehicles um, that have killed people uh, with Takata airbags this year so far. And at this point, you know, seven years into the recall process, 85% of vehicles across the board around that number have been repaired. So we've got this small segment of 15% of the airbags that haven't been repaired causing four deaths in a year. Um, I mean, just imagine, you know, what could be happening now. First of all, if we hadn't addressed it or the the companies, we didn't do it. The companies addressed it at the time under NHTSA's orders um, in 2015, uh, 2016 is when that generally took place. Um, we we're, we're concerned that, you know, as these, airbag inflators age and become more subject to the humidity and temperature issues that cause the defect um, that we're going to continue to see more of these things. So it's, you know, it, all the manufacturers involved, the NHTSA and us are all issuing, you know, basically urgent pleas to everyone to get these things checked out and fixed as soon as possible, because it's, it's not getting better. Yeah. These are four preventable deaths too. Like these are, easy fixes this is um please just do it for festivus i've had it done on my car and i want to emphasize to our listeners that this is completely free of charge doesn't it cost you the bit of time it takes for the hour you're going to spend having it done at your dealer but it doesn't cost you any other money so please go do it yeah and don't worry that you know bill gates is going to put a microchip inside your car and track you um, maybe he will. Who knows? But at least you'll have a new airbag. Um, I think we're we're done for the day. I think uh, I feel pretty good. Anyone yeah. looking at the two faces? They're like, I don't want to go. I have nothing else. I'm, to do. I'm good. Um, do you want any more nuclear physics, or have you had enough? Uh, for today? Oh, sorry. I, <clears throat> I had a 
gas all over there. <laughs> was that fission or fusion? That was some, if only like, okay, nuclear fission. If only there's some way like we could grab a star out in space and harness its power. No, talk that's to, talk to Elon. It's a long or, reach. It's yeah, a, kind it's, of a long reach. Yeah. I had a giant panel I could put somewhere and capture that. Well, those know. for those listeners who have watched Back to the Future, uh, that fusion reactor in the back of your car is is a long way off. And and uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but you know you can still save your aluminum cans. There's a case for that. I'm not sure it's going to work to just throw in the back of your car, but hey, we might get there yet. Because, hey, that, that nuclear fission reactor in the back of their car, I believe that year it happened in was 2007, okay, in that movie. So yeah, it's, it's long past. Yeah, we're Minos. overdue. <clears throat> Damn it. All right. So for now, people, um, don't drive your car. And definitely not from the back seat. And uh, nuclear fission's a, it's great, but not going to do anything for you today. Uh, if you do have to drive, uh, do it sober. Not like the guy I saw the other day. He was smoking a big fatty in his car before taking off. And I thought, well, good thing I'm walking. But then I thought, yeah, oh, it's I'm the walking. holidays. Yeah. So, so we can expect the number of crashes due to those types of incidents to rise. So everybody stay sober, take an Uber, have fun in your house. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'd also like to thank our, our listeners. This is just great fun doing this. And, you know, it's a it's a wonderful thing. It's a great privilege to be able to do this. So, just want to thank our listeners. This is great. We love it. I agree. I agree. You know, it's sure it's court mandated for me, but it's still a lot of fun. All right. You only have six months left of that. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. And if you haven't, go donate now. Thank you very much, everybody. Till next time. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.